Fleur. When William Blake came in, he, was <laughs> he had a, a, a badge on that represented a fascist society. He had the sun <laughs> under his arm. <laughs> we, we had to challenge him. Yes. Not quite the mystic poet and artist you've been expecting. Not quite the man who would acquit Oz if uh, he was still alive, no. Let's talk about that. We've got to uh, still hear of the slightly pornographic uh, Rupert Bear oh, that, that uh, really had a huge impact on your career. Can you explain how? Well, it was the end of the swinging 60s, and I think the establishment in Britain wanted scapegoats for those they thought had been responsible for this wave of permissiveness. And they picked on Richard Neville and a couple of other Australians and decided they charged them with conspiracy to corrupt public morals, which carried life imprisonment. As you said, this was the end of the permissive 60s in London. What you found in the form of Judge Michael Argyle was a remarkably conservative man. Uh, when he thought one of the defendants had talked about having VD, what did he do? Oh, well, that was John Peel, who mm. died last year, he was a great radio one announcer. Of the witnesses, sorry. He, uh, yes, uh, this BBC disc jockey had admitted having VD in order to encourage people to go and have treatment for sexually transmitted diseases, a very valuable thing to do. But Judge Argyle was so shocked at this admission that the glass of water out of which the witness had sipped during his testimony, after he left the witness box, he ordered the usher to smash the glass of water so that in case anyone else got, uh, got infected. It's remarkable to think that was, uh, that was the early 70s we're talking about. You mentioned John Mortimer, who became the barrister for the defence. Mm. He also counselled you the first time you lost a case, didn't he? Yes, he did say I shouldn't take loss personally, and uh, he took me aside and explained that uh, there was that, that we had to be dispassionate and distance ourselves from the client. That's easily said, but hard to do. Mm. After the Oz trial, you went on to Jamaica and a man called Michael X, an Englishman who was on death row in Jamaica. Yeah, he was, he was a black radical and he'd uh, been sentenced to death and that was the first time I spent a long time on death row with him. Death row is really a terrible place in the Caribbean. It's like a, these men are in monkey cages, they're screeching, the, the, the noise level is tremendous. They're treated like animals. Every Thursday, I think, the warden would come down and read the death warrant and then the hangman would come and weigh the man, grease the trap, and uh, it was uh, an obscene ritual that they went through, but in that period with Michael X on death row, it did strike me that death row is a form of torture. And later I was able to get scientific evidence of this and we brought a case in which the Privy Council, which is the highest court for the Caribbean, declared that all those who'd been on death row for more than a couple of years had to have their sentences commuted because death row was torture and and hundreds of people were then taken off death row and that argument was accepted only last month in Uganda it's being run in the Supreme Court of the United States. You grew up in, in the suburbs of Sydney where did this strong sense of injustice come from? Well people always ask me who was my inspiration as a kid and they expect me to say Nelson Mandela or Dr. Evatt or Pastor Niamala. 
Uh, it was none of those people, it was Lou Hode. He was my idol as a boy growing up in Eastwood. He was uh, just, he'd beaten Tony Trey, but he'd won the Davis Cup single-handed. And in a strange sort of way, a barrister is not unlike a professional tennis player. You go from court to court, winning some, <laughs> losing some, <laughs> complaining about the umpire, and yes, ma but... making a lot of money. But of course, but, but, to but... be a professional tennis player, you have to be brilliant. To be a barrister, no brilliance is required in the law, as John Mortimer's father told him, just common sense and relatively clean fingernails. I still don't see <laughs> how you <laughs> jump from admiring a tennis player, and I know you love tennis, <laughs> to deciding to spend your entire... No, I think there was... Look, I grew up in, uh, in Eastwood. Uh, my wife calls me a Westie. <laughs> and uh, my grandfather came from Dapto. I spent a lot of time in Dapto. And they